Greetings, ladies and gents. I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddy, here for yet another episode of the Innkeeper's Guest Book. And today I have the lovely Miss Deborah Phillips. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So where do you hail from, Miss Phillips? <laughs> I'm an alien and I hail from Pacific Palisades, California. Okay, so for those that are uninitiated, where is Pacific Palisades? It's between Santa Monica and Malibu on the beach, just oh. north of Santa Monica. Okay. And I always love it, love it, love it when we have other hosts that do short-term rentals as well. And I believe you've been doing it for about as long as I have, since 2013, right? Right. We've been doing it for about five years. Um, we stopped about a year ago and leased our house out long-term. Okay. So, But we, we probably started a year and a half, maybe two years into Airbnb. Okay. So tell us about the place. Um, we have a beautiful home that overlooks the ocean in a canyon, and it has, let's see, one, two, three, three bedrooms and three bathrooms and a, a large den downstairs, and then, and we also have a garage and sort of like a game area and laundry area downstairs, and then upstairs we have a museum staircase and, um... A big living room, dining room, kitchen, kitchen nook area with a very large outdoor patio that overlooks the ocean and the canyon. Um, and then uh, on that level, we also have the master bedroom and bathroom suite. And then up on the third floor, we have a library loft. Okay. And so do you rent out the whole place as a whole or do you rent out just rooms um, well, towards the end, we were renting out the whole place as a whole, but most of the time we were renting out either all the rooms downstairs to one family or occasionally separate rooms to different individuals. Um, well, we, we did both, but probably more to larger families that, you know, either we're traveling with lots of children or traveling with parents and grandchildren. And um, I would say probably 60% of our clientele were from Europe. Uh, from Western Europe, s several families from China, from Russia and the Ukraine, um, really from all over. But I, I think I would say we had the most amount of uh, guests from Germany, I would say, in terms of Western Europe. We, we got a lot of more guests from Germany and Holland than, let's say, from Great Britain. Now, is that because of a certain famous guest that stayed at your house? No, no, it wasn't at all because most people didn't know her. But uh, kind of early on, we had a young woman come staying with us. She had uh, actually rented an apartment through Airbnb to herself in West Hollywood. And she was auditioning uh, for parts here in the United States. And she called us one night and said, can I come and stay with you immediately? And we said, yes. Um, and she had had a bad experience where she was staying, so she moved to where we were, and she was downstairs in one of the bedroom bathroom suites. And um, it ended up that she's a very, very famous actress um, and star in Austria and Germany. Uh, her name is Miriam Weichelbronn, but she's sort of like the opera of that area. She interviews all the important people, and she hosts Dancing with the Stars, and she hosts the Academy Awards there, and. Um, very famous and she stayed with us for about a month and I mean she was just lovely we had a lovely time and she stays in touch and comes and visits every time she's here and if she can stay with us she does and 
Um, so we've become friends with her. And uh, we we created a little video about our house that we have online. Yeah. And she uh, I'll put that in the show notes for agreed to be our host in the video explaining, you know, this sh- sort of showing off the surroundings and explaining, you know, how the rooms all work together and and us and what we provide. And mm-hmm. so that was very nice. Yeah. So I saw the videos. It was really cool. Like I, I really like the space <laughs> that you all have. And the kitchen's amazing with the double oven. Yeah. Um, and so for those that don't know, so. Once you're on that uh, like Venice Santa Monica side, uh, once you get far, far enough north where Pacific Palisades is, the PCH or the Pacific Coast Highway basically is in between the beach and the inland area, right? And so then what happens is in Pacific Palisades, on the I guess you would call it the east side of the Pacific Coast Highway, there's a big canyon that goes up. There's cliffs. Cliffs, yeah. yeah. Um, it goes up. And I believe her house sits right on the edge of one of those cliffs or not the edge, but, you know, No, it does. It's okay. on the edge of one of the cliffs. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's up like what? 300 feet, right? Yeah. 300 feet. Yeah. Crazy. So, and then there's a walkway, I believe that you can take from the house to get yeah, down. It's not really a walkway. It's more of a, of a hike through, um, a Canyon, you know, an undeveloped Canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can hike down to the beach they are developing that canyon right now, and it's a uh, it's supposed to be a formalized park hike to Palisades Park, which okay. is inland a little bit. Um, and it's about a four year project that they've been working on for twenty four years. <laughs> sounds, so sounds about in my right. lifetime, I'm not even sure it'll ever be done. But um, they're in the last phase now. Who knows? <laughs> we might get to see it. So you also explained that um, there was a period where they filled in a certain area in your backyard yeah when we bought the house we were actually the bottom of the canyon was 300 feet below us Mm -hmm. and now the bottom of the canyon is 10 feet below us parts of it parts of it like right by mars is 10 feet then you kind of hike down to areas that are lower but um because of all the mudslides during a rainy season in malibu they had all this dirt that they needed moved and they decided to fill in our canyon because there had been some slippage of homes into the canyon over the years hmm. due to the um, city not providing the correct um, drainage for that area. So the city was responsible. They didn't want to buy back any homes anymore. Um, I mean, really, most of the slippages were in the 1960s, way before we moved there. Uh, but they still were concerned about it. And it's a huge canyon. And so I think for two years, we had something like four or five hundred trucks a day coming up the canyon and dumping dirt and going down the canyon and then tractors packing the dirt and waking everybody up in the morning (laughs) so it was very noisy yeah sounds like Um, this neighborhood right here right we have a lot of activity going on um and so and then also you had told me about the pylons yeah so we we actually lost the house in the 1994 earthquake uh the northridge earthquake and we just happened to be at a point where the Northridge earthquake set off an earthquake down further south around uh, Hermosa Beach. And that earthquake uh, was moving towards us and the other one was moving towards us. So every point where the, the uh, upheaval came together, people had more damage. So we were on a line that went through Santa Monica where there was a lot of damage. And so our house was lifted up off of the ground. 
came back down on its foundation and you know kilted to the right um so basically you know we had to leave immediately i mean that was like a whole kind of horror story at the moment but uh, the next day we had to our house was red tagged we had to move somewhere else for about two months and then uh they made it safe enough for us to move back and then it took us about a year and a half to find money to rebuild and then maybe another 12 14 months to rebuild Um, and when we rebuilt we had to make the house safe so in order to do that we put pylons steel and cement pylons about 125 feet down into the rock underneath our house that's uh, crazy at the perimeter and i think there's five or six pylons maybe seven i'm not sure that go around the perimeter of the house um 125 feet yeah for, for those of us in washington dc where we have a height height restriction that's pretty much around as tall as the tallest buildings that are in dc that's wild <laughs> so um actually the infrastructure of the house probably cost as much as rebuilding the house. the house yeah sounds about right in construction <laughs> a lot of times the the main work is done sub subsurface right subterranean yes yeah, subterranean uh so yeah so do we have an infinity pool on deck mm, well we don't have one at the moment no but, i'm saying are you planning but now to do we one? have a big backyard yes that, that's undeveloped yeah uh, so we could do that uh or something we haven't you know gotten to that point yet but we probably will at awesome. some point. yeah and i'll definitely be there to check it out matter <laughs> of fact invite me to the ribbon cutting right. <laughs> so as a fellow host of of a multitude of renters i'm sure there's a number of number of different experiences that have happened i'm wondering what was your most uh surprising experience that happened good or bad um well i have to say that for the you know five years we probably only ran into one uh client that was well maybe two that were a real problem and, and one young man rented the house for four days for five people and then and we were out of town and and as soon as they came our son greeted them and he called us he said you know there's a lot more than uh five people there was maybe 35 people mm-hmm. so we came home immediately and you know they were all like asleep everywhere i mean not all of them but quite a few people and we woke someone up and said you know we're the owners of the house and we need to talk to matt who made the reservation and they said oh well matt's down at the beach and i said well you know let us know when he gets back and we went into our living quarters and unpacked and um maybe an hour and a half it got very quiet we went out and the everything was gone all the people were gone all their things were gone all the trash was gone um they like a mouse cleaned up the whole house and left after one night and they had reserved it for four never heard from them again i'm sure they knew they had done something that was quite wrong um but that was our only bad experience our most unusual experience i think was um we had a family come from um kuwait i think it was from kuwait and uh when they arrived the husband was had you know shorts on and a t-shirt and very cosmopolitan looking and he was with his wife and his mother and three children and one was a baby and the wife and mother were in shadors and their faces were covered and you know long long dresses and um and we immediately got the feeling that if my husband was around they were very nervous they 
were looking away and didn't like the fact that he was in the room and so he kind of disappeared um the baby was very i mean seemed fine but needed a liver transplant so they were seeing a doctor at ucla and the baby was on special formula and foods and different things like that well the they walked to the house initially and the the husband and they were probably like in their mid to late 30s said to us um are you jewish and we said yes we are and he said oh well that's very interesting and um and then he was asking us how religious we were and i think he felt that it was strange that we had invited them to come to stay because as a Jewish family, as a Jewish family, and yeah. you know, of course, we don't think one way or the other about who comes and or why, or you know, our house is always open to everyone, and um, so he mentioned that a few times. And then, like the the third day he was with us, he said, you know, and they were part of a, a larger family that had rented a big house in Malibu, so there was maybe twenty people in the family in Malibu, and the seven of them at our house. And he said, you know, our, my cousins and I, we've decided that we want to go to Las Vegas. So I'm going to leave today with my cousins and I'm taking my mother-in-law and the two older kids, but my wife and the baby are staying here. And I said, fine. And they left. And then she told me she was very upset about the whole thing because all her husband and his brothers and cousins do is gamble in Kuwait. There's a lot of casinos. And why did they have to go to Las Vegas? It's the exact same thing they always do. And here she was with a sick baby. And, and then she started crying and she confided in me that at home they have servants who do everything and she didn't know how to prepare the formula for her baby really that her mother-in-law was helping with that and now they're gone and she's running out of formula and she wasn't sure what to do and she felt uncomfortable and so I and they were halal and I called around looking for halal groceries and restaurants and then I called doctors and hospitals to see if we could get her the special formula that she needed and we did as much as we could to help her, but uh, I think she stayed maybe two more days, and then she told me she just she she didn't understand Los Angeles as much as she understood New York. She mm. felt more comfortable with in New York, so really she was going to fly to New York for the next three days, and then fly back to Los Angeles where they had this appointment with a doctor at UCLA. Uh, but she didn't want to stay here the whole time because she didn't feel comfortable walking in the streets in her outfit and. All kinds of things. So, you know, I felt bad, but I mean, I can understand feeling, you know, like a fish out of water. Yeah. Do you think it was a pedestrian thing in the sense of being able to walk places? Or do you think it was a perception thing of people in the area seeing her? Well, you don't see a lot of people in Chador's in Santa Monica and and in in the, at least our neighborhoods of Los Angeles where we live. Um, But actually, you know, we're around downtown Los Angeles. You just don't see that as much as you do in New York. Yeah. Or maybe even here. So, you know, on college campuses, you see young kids who are going to school who, who wear the headscarves, but not usually everything. And um, so I think she just felt like walking around, she was, um, you know, she people was, stared she was very at. She consp- conspicuous. Yeah, she was very conspicuous and felt uncomfortable about that. I think she felt comfortable in our house, but, you know, she probably always... She wanted to get out, yeah. Yeah, felt cooped up and... Um, but really, she was so upset about the baby and being left by herself, and yeah. she was just upset in general. And she probably had friends in New York that she could go to, and so she left. So that was probably our most unusual experience yeah. okay. uh, with people. I mean, I, I sometimes we get up really early to make because I made breakfast every morning, and 
sometimes I'd be up at five making breakfast because I knew they had to make a plane by seven or, uh, but one morning I got up really early and I see the, and it was dark out and I see these shadows on the outdoor patio um, where our kitchen is. And it was a, one of our guests doing Tai Chi at like four in the morning. But I mean, he almost looked like a ninja. (laughs) I thought, oh my God, I have to call the police until I figured out what was going on. Wow. Yeah. And so you sing at four in the morning, so it's still dark. It was very dark. Wow. And he was all in black and he was, you know, doing. Yeah. (laughs) So that was funny. That's awesome. Um, So you've actually done a number of uh, video shoots or commercials or. Yeah, we've had a lot of commercials done at our house. We've had one done for Volvo, one done for LG Television, um, one done for some plumbing fixtures in our kitchen, um, might have been coal, I'm not sure. Um, we've had shoots for the Magic Bullet, you know, that makes all these different kinds of things where our whole living room, dining room, and kitchen were full of um, different items that they made with the magic bullet and they put it all out on display. And, you know, I think that one might've been more of an infomercial. Um, okay. So how did, how did you, is there, was there a specific company that you, that maybe reached out to you that had these as clients or yeah. did people just find your place? Well, I think towards the end, people f- would find our house on Airbnb when mm-hmm. they would look, but Initially, it was through Location Scout, registering with location companies. And we were registered with, I think, two or three of them. Um, and so then their clients look through, you know, books that have pictures of your house and decide what, what they need. But, you know, when places like Airbnb came along, then they could just for free, you know, look and contact you and say, you know, and we had lots of people contacting us all the time, way more than we did shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... Sometimes every other month we'd have someone contact us, but we weren't willing to do shoots for the price of a room for the night. Yeah. Um, so we would, you know, tell them what we would charge and, and still what we would charge is way under what uh, most film companies get if they have to go through a location company, you know, in a very legit way. Um, so sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. Uh, we had one group of guys that were filming a documentary about driving on one tank of gas uh, uh, from San Diego to the border of Washington, D.C. Not Washington, D.C., Washington 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 State. State. Okay. On one tank of gas to show how good their mileage is. And they did it in a certain way. We couldn't figure out how they were doing it. And then they explained it to us. Not that I could re-explain it. (laughs) Of, you know, how they would go downhill and turn off the gas. I mean, I don't know, to make the gas last. Um, they were sort of like NASCAR guys. Oh, uh, that's that's. And and so they just used our house to sit around and talk as they were talking about the trip and what they were going to do and what they've ah, done, like and, the B roll. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've had a lot of interesting people come and use the house for filming. That's cool. I've only done a couple so far, but thanks for the location scouts. I I. Didn't even think about reaching out to those people. But yeah, when we've done it, we've just done it for the price of a night. But perhaps, I mean, in our in our contract, you know, there's a number of things they have to agree to. So, I mean, but yeah, if I can get more money, why not? You know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so what was your most memorable experience? Um, Well, I think 
towards the beginning, we had two families staying with us that were lovely, a couple from San Diego and a couple from the East Coast. Um, and they were staying in different rooms. And we were out for some reason, came home one night about eight. And they were all up in the living room reading and talking. And, and we sat down and opened wine for everyone. And we all talked for three or four hours. It was really fun. And then um, the next day, they all asked us out to dinner and took us to this really nice restaurant in the Palisades. And the six of us had dinner. And um, so it was really, you know, more like making friends or meeting people, getting along and, you know, going out together. And uh, they were all very gracious. Um, we've had a lot of families come, especially from China, and give us gifts when they arrive. Um, and we've had many families leave, stay at our house when they were about to leave to go back to China. And what they do is, because rice is so much a part of their diet, they get here and they go to like Target and buy a rice cooker and take the rice cooker with them on their travels. And then when they get back, they don't want to take it on the plane. So we have like six rice cookers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could say that I've had that experience before as well, where someone left a rice cooker with us. Um, see, we have it here. I haven't used it yet, but <laughs> at some point I will. Yeah, but that that's interesting that that's a shared experience. How about your most famous guest? Is it Miriam? Yeah, probably. Um, we had a very famous astrophysicist whose best friend is um, um, what is his name? Buzz Aldrin. No, no, no. The Neil, one who does all the shows. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was his best friend. Okay. He was very interesting to talk to. I, I loved talking with him. They were from the East Coast, and they had come. I think they took over our house for Thanksgiving with a big family for a week. Um, so they were they were a lot of fun, and oh, we had a really famous rock group come and stay during the music awards. Um, I'm not going to be able to remember their name. They're like it's an unusual name, like Muffer or. Hubbard. I mean, it's like three syllables. Uh, I'll never, I'll never think of it while I'm doing this interview. Mm, let me think. You say it's three syllables. I think it's three syllables. It has a B. And in they the and they won at the Music Awards. They won Best Album, I think. And oh wow! So they're like famous, but I'll. Oh um, uh uh uh, hold on. It's uh no I I I I think it it came to my head in a, in a second um I think there's like five guys and oh man I think they're originally from England oh okay then well um then I don't know anyway uh, maybe I'll try to look it up and figure it out before I leave well so and they were fun but we you know we just met them and we we did, you know weren't going to stay around while they were using our house as their crib so mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and i think i don't know if i can think of anyone else who's mumford and sons yes that's it <laughs> yes 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 it was a tip of my tongue all right good yeah they did win they did win they that did year win. yeah okay they were really nice actually okay and, you know, Airbnb doesn't allow you to give your location, and they'd found us. And so they said, 
you know, when you're when you're typing, they they block it, they white it out if you try and give someone your yeah. phone number or your address. So I yeah. said, well, we're in the Palisades, we're on Friends, <laughs> and you know, there's no house look that that has a big uh, VW sculpture in the front and a copper roof and. Yeah. So if you just drive down Friends and there's only one block, mm-hmm. you'll find us. So they did. They drove over and found us. Oh, great. Okay. So that was fun. Yeah, I had a a, a a manager reach out to me one time, and I had a band from China, Retros. They're actually really good, um, and they've actually been around for like ten years, but um, they kind of switched their style a little bit, um, and they had a tour that they were doing here in D.C. And then what was in- interesting their handler there also had a band and then she came later that year and stayed when she her band was on tour so um it's cool how all that stuff happens you know okay you ready for the seven questions sure all righty first question book to add to the library so my two most famous books are uh, or favorite books i should say are people of the book by geraldine brooks she also wrote March, which is a very famous book of hers, but that's one of my most favorite books. And and the second one is um, Shadows of the Wind. And Shadows of the Wind, uh, what's his name? It's a, he's a Spanish author, uh, Gabriel Garca Marquez. And both of these books are page turners, but they're literary. And I think that's a hard combination to find, a book that's, you know can win the booker award but is like so such a great story and you just don't want to put it down these are both fiction they're both fiction okay so if you had if they only have enough money for one of the two books which one i think people of the book is my favorite okay and so what's the brief synopsis of what happened uh, it's it's kind of it's about a young woman like in her 30s who's a um she restores artwork she's sort of like a forensic art i mean there's probably a specific name for it but she looks at paintings and figures out the history of the painting and as she restores it and looks at the paints and the papers and the patinas and she can figure out at what age this this painting was done and where where it was you know it, it geographically and what happened in the world at that time that made it this way, you know, different things like that. So the people of the book is about an old, old book called a Haggadah. And Haggadah is a religious book that's used during Passover. And um, it's this amazing archaeological find. I think it was in Yugoslavia. I mean, it's fiction. So I don't think, I mean, I don't know how much of this could be true, but, and they contact her and she comes and looks at it and slowly begins to restore the book. And what she finds out is that this book was actually put together over time by several different civilizations in several different areas of Western Europe. Um, And so each level that she unfolds, sort of like when, um, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Source by Michener, it's an excavation of civilizations starting from the very bottom and going up. And this is the same kind of a story where um, each period in time where the book has been developed she there's a story surrounding the people that have this book so you go through the book and its compilation um over you know hundreds of years of time where you know these people had it then these people had it, and these people had it, up till 
probably modern day Germany in World War Two, and so um, it was really interesting. And okay. some of the levels that she uncovered in the stories of the people, I wanted to go on for five hundred more pages. I, mean, I just was so enthralled with that story, and then it would go on to the next. And, so it's like a historical fiction. Yeah, but I'm not so sure it's even you know any of it is true. Okay. But yes, I, it tells the story of periods of time, and I'm sure the facts of those times are true. Okay. Um, cool. But it's a great book, and she's a great writer. She won a lot of awards for her book March, and March is about you know the book Little Women is about the marches. Okay. A family, a mother, and five daughters. Maybe you never read Little Women, but <laughs> and uh, this story March is about the husband because he's off in the Civil War. So the very famous book is about what's happening to these women while the the husband is off, the father is off, uh, fighting, and her book is about what happens to him while he's fighting. Okay. Number two, uh, podcast to subscribe to. My favorite, I mean, I subscribe to maybe five or six, but my favorite is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me by far. Okay. And know, that's probably the most famous podcast there is. So you know, NPR's headquarters is I just, know. Yeah. I was thinking about going there and looking, you know, I don't think there's a tour, but. There are tours. There are you tours. Can do, yeah, you go online to NPR slash, NPR.org slash tours. Oh, okay. Um, but the thing is, is like a lot of times they're booked like Wayne a advanced. week or two out. So, yeah. yeah we have so. a good friend who's a uh, uh, broadcast journalist for NPR here. Really? For a political journalist. Oh, okay. Scott Horsley. Oh, Scott Horsley. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Put me in contact with him. I'd love for him <laughs> to know about this place. Um, when I was out there, I was to be, I went to the tour and then I was in the gift shop and I was speaking with someone and um, the guy comes out here like maybe once a year from like their Shanghai office or something like that. You know, I wanted to find out like, hey, I'm one of the closest Airbnbs is here. If people come in town for NPR and they need to have a place to stay. Yeah. So but I've been looking for a way to to speak to somebody because it's kind of difficult. And you don't know anybody. So. Right. Right. Love for you to put me in contact with Scott. OK. Um, all right. Number three, something you didn't know you needed until you got it. That was a really hard one for me because. There's a lot of things that I'll get and go, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. And then I buy it for everyone I know. Mm -hmm. But the very latest thing, and it's a stupid kind of stupid thing, but um, I've been trying to not eat carbohydrates. So I keep track of it every day, you know, and try and get it as low as possible. And um, Trader Joe's has low carbohydrate tortillas that are really really low in carbohydrate really really low in calorie and tastes really really good <laughs> which is you know sort of uh counterintuitive usually things that are really low don't taste very good so um you said these are tortillas or tortilla chips no tortillas they're okay. just tortillas okay. because you know you you can't eat bread or rice or potatoes or pastas you know all that kind of stuff so for me the hardest thing is I eat a lot of romaine lettuce with stuff in it and roll kind of roll it up like a sandwich. And a lettuce wrap. I like a lettuce wrap. But now that I found these tortillas, I can actually put it all in the tortilla and it tastes so much better. <laughs> and it's not really that many more calories or carbohydrates. So Okay. That's my newest thing that I've fallen in love with. So you had mentioned before about quesadillas. Do you because it's low carb? Like when you, earlier when you came, you were like, Hey, you can take the the tortillas yeah. and make some quesadillas right, or something. Right, right. Um is there a way to do a low-carb quesadilla? Well, see, cheese doesn't have carbohydrates. Oh, wow. 
Wow. So you can you can I, I you, didn't realize that you can eat cheese. <laughs> I get cheese and gluten and dairy and yeah. all that stuff mixed up. Okay, yeah, see, so, right. so so cheese and meats, you know, like beef and chicken and fish, um, they're very very low in carbohydrates. Okay, so those are the things that you can eat. So what you have to do with cheese is be careful because you can have a lot of calories with cheese. So you have to kind of you know you have to look at both your calories and your carbs if you're trying to lose weight. Okay, and um, but yeah, I mean, cheese is really amazing because if you're really hungry and you have a piece of cheese, often that's all you need and and it sort of satisfies you. At least it satisfies me. Uh, so yes, with that, you could have a quesadilla. Okay. A really good quesadilla with, you know, onions and tomatoes and different... Avocados have no carbs. Okay. Or very little, very low carbs. I could be wrong about no, but... Um, so, but all vegetables don't have any carbs, correct? Well, you would think so, but they actually do. Really? Um, Vegetables that grow in the ground have a lot higher carbs, like sweet potatoes or carrots, really? than like celery or any green vegetables. So sometimes I'll look at my day and all my carbs are from all the vegetables I've eaten. You know, the meat doesn't have carbs and this, I mean, they, you're really low calorie when you eat vegetables, but they do have carbs and so it's guess, tricky. So I guess are carbs basically starches? Um, Like potatoes would have carbs. Yeah, but I'm not so sure that that because they're not always starches so i'm not sure what the exact definition would be okay well, that's good to know because i like carrots but certainly bread all kinds of breads and you know um beer is <laughs> he you know it's like liquid bread yeah so they're very high in carbs and the idea is like uh, um, what i'm doing i'm trying to stay under 13 carbs a day which is almost impossible usually i end up being under 20 but that's still pretty low um, one apple is like 24 carbs. Really? Yeah. So most people have hundreds and hundreds of carbs a day. Yeah, that'd be me. And so <laughs> what I'm doing is still really low, even though it's not as low as what the book says. You know, if you can stay under here, you'll lose this amount of weight a week. And, um, okay. Wow. Learn something new every day. <laughs> All right. Uh, number four. But, but oh, another sorry. thing that I... I mean, there, I wrote down a few things that I thought were amazing. Okay. Luggage that um, spins. Like it rolls in every direction? Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. I've always thought that was amazing when I got that. Uh, a mandolin. Do you know what a mandolin is? It's something where you can cut like onions and tomatoes and things really, really, really thin. Oh. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a flat thing with a blade and you can just go like this. Yeah. I love mandolins. I love mini choppers because you can throw garlic and parsley in and... Yeah, in three it's seconds done. it's done rather than spending hours trying to get it small. Um, that's something I've always loved. And I like, you know, Nespresso or, you know, those coffee makers because I love espresso in the morning. Okay. All right. Um, you mentioned luggage. Uh, I had meant to ask you before. You travel a lot? We travel a lot. So tell us some places that you've been. Um, well, we just got through spending three months in Southeast Asia. So we were in Thailand for a month. We were in Laos for about a week and in Cambodia for a week and in Bali for a month. And then about three weeks in Sri Lanka. Um, and just, it was all amazing. There wasn't any place that we didn't think was just unbelievable. You know, it's hot and it's humid like here in Washington, D.C., but... It should be. <laughs> and we were, you know, dripping wet all the time. And people would come up to us and go, are you okay? Are you, do you need to sit down? 
And I said to my husband, we must look like we're about to die because everyone's <laughs> asking us that. <laughs> and, you know, you look around and of course the native people don't seem so hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and even other tourists. I mean, especially in Sri Lanka, we were almost the only Americans. I, I don't remember even meeting other Americans, but we met a lot of people from um, England and Holland and and or the Scandinavian countries. And of course, and I'm very tiny and everyone was so tall and they always looked, you know, tall and blonde and not sweating at all and perfect travelers. And I'm thinking, we just look like a wreck compared to every person that we come, you know, meet. <laughs> but you're there, though. You're there. That's all that matters. Um, I was going to say, uh, and so when you travel through Southeast Asia, one thing that I hear from a lot of people that go out there is the food's just amazing. No, the food was very good. Yeah. Of all those countries, which one would you say has the best cuisine? had the cuisine that you enjoyed the most well you know um i mean every everywhere was a lot of vegetables and curries and and uh sauces and things we actually don't eat meat or chicken we do eat fish so most of our meals were fish and um vegetables so after about six or seven weeks of fish and vegetables we got kind of fish and vegetables out yeah (laughs) so the food that we liked the best actually was when we were in Laos we were in Luang Prabang which was controlled by the French and so there was a lot of French restaurants there that had bread and cheese and things that we hadn't been eating and actually cheese is really really expensive there I mean you you can get like a block of jack cheese and it's $17 wow uh, whereas most of the food isn't Hmm. but there's certain things that are liquor and cheese seemed to be very expensive. Yeah, kind like, especially. You know, here lobster is really expensive, but you, if you go to Jamaica, lobster is actually cheaper than shrimp. Right, right. It's crazy. And you, could, and you could get a lot of shrimp there. Fish actually there was was really not expensive at all. Okay. Um, ben, we didn't have any of the meat dishes. I think if we were eating meat, we probably would have enjoyed the food more than we did. But um, we haven't been eating meat. Now, does rice have carbs? Yes. So, yeah, so you couldn't no do rice. rice out there either. Yeah. And then I'm sure, like, pretty much every dish. Right. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, we were trying not to eat rice. Occasionally we would have it. but um, And there's a lot of noodle dishes, which also have carbs that we I shouldn't have been eating. But in the beginning, I think I had pad thai, like, yeah. 20 times. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you know what? I'm on vacation. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. But, I mean, that isn't a good thing either. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, the food was very, very good. And uh, now I've kind of you know, um, gone through a period where I haven't had as much of that, so I could start eating it again. Okay. So that's a good segue into our next two questions. Uh, first one, bucket list place to travel. This is a place that you would suggest the listeners add to their bucket list. Oh, that, that I've been to. That you've been to. Yeah. Um, well, Certainly Sri Lanka, I thought, was amazing. And I and I would tell everyone to go there, and I think it's off most people's radars. They have 18 world UNESCO sites, more than any other country in the world. So and, for those who don't know, what, explain what a UNESCO site is. Um, well, it's been designated by, I don't, I'm not sure who. <laughs> if it's UNICEF or, or UNESCO is actually the org- organization. It's right here? It's a heritage, uh, yeah. A World Heritage Center that holds so much um, history 
and artifacts that it's being protected. Okay. And um, in Sri Lanka, there's a, a huge amount. And, and there's also a huge amount of uh, natural parks, uh, especially animal parks, you know, where you can go on safari. And so if you're someone who's always wanted to go on safari but hasn't been to Africa, I would go to Sri Lanka because it's much easier, it's much less expensive, it's much more manageable. You don't see as many animals as you do in Africa. There aren't any giraffes, but there's lots of lions and cheetahs and birds, I mean, amazing birds and um, elephants, huge amount of elephants. So, I mean, it's really fun. You see enough animals that you feel like you've satisfied that need. And the history of um, Buddhism is, you know, almost the center of where it all started is in Sri Lanka. And it's just fascinating. The whole country is just fascinating. And parts of it look like Bali and Switzerland put together. I mean, it's just stunningly beautiful, which I don't think people understand either. So um, I would I would go there for sure. Uh, you know, we've been to a lot of places. The um, best snorkeling that we've ever seen was in Tahiti in Bora Bora. Um, so if you're into, under, into underwater kinds of sports, I would certainly go there. And, you know, Tahiti's gorgeous too. Um, but, you know, we lived in Switzerland. We le- I mean, I think Switzerland's an amazing country to go to, but expensive. <laughs> so. Okay. so is there a city in Sri Lanka you would suggest? There's a city in the middle of Sri Lanka that that is very European, and I'm not going to be able to remember the name of it. Um, I'll pull it up. And how about Switzerland? Where in Switzerland? Well, we lived in the French part of Switzerland. So we lived along um, Lac Leman, which is Lake Geneva. Okay. And, you know, along the lake, there's Geneva. Then there's the big cities are Geneva, Lausanne, Vevey, and Chardon. I mean, in Montreux. And we lived in a little village called Chardon above Vevey. And actually, our village is where Charlie Chaplin lived. Oh, wow. And, um, I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, we lived in a gorgeous bottom half of a villa. The people that owned it um, lived above us. And they had a huge garden. And he was a vice president at Nestle Corporation. Oh, wow. He was in charge of, I think, their Southeast Asian division. So they taught us a lot about Swiss cooking and gardening and... The wife taught me how to uh, paint china. And um, I mean, you know, they just sort of adopted us as children because they didn't have any of their own. We were very young then. So um, how long were you living there? We lived there two years from when I was 22 to 24 and a half, something like that. Oh, that's a good time to be there. Yeah. 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 So it. We had a really good time and did a lot of hiking, and we learned how to ski there. Okay. And we, I learned how to cook, and uh, it, it was pretty amazing. So I know one of your questions is about a restaurant that you need to. Go yes, far is away. the the fifty mile detour restaurant? Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is a fifty mile detour, but in Switzerland, when we lived there, we would hike, you know, a couple of miles into the back country behind our house, because our house was sort of in the middle of the forest and above vineyards and um we uh go to this cute little restaurant that was in the middle of nowhere um and it was called buritas b-u-r-i-t-a-z 
and I was looking it up on Google Maps, and it's still there. Okay. And our, I mean, our, and our, I got a great picture of our house, which I haven't looked at for years. But um, is it Swiss cuisine? Swiss cuisine? Yeah. Okay. So you know, it Switzerland is made up of uh, four different languages: um, Swiss French, Swiss German, Swiss Italian, and an original language that's mostly Latin called Romanche. Okay. And so, depending on what part of Switzerland you're in, is the cuisine. So you could have very German cuisine in the German part and very Italian. But we lived in the French part, so this is more French. So our favorite dish, we would hike there, and you know, if it was winter time, we'd have a fondue. Um, and I make the most amazing fondue in the United States from learning how to do it there. But we would have crouton fromage, and crouton fromage is a sort of a breakfast lunch dish that's a um, small um, oven kind of tart pan and you take bread of course this is not on my low carb diet <laughs> and you soak it in white wine okay and then you layer it you know in this um, small dish quiche dish kind of thing and then on top you could have it just like that or you could have it with eggs and bacon or eggs and ham so normally they would put you know some ham on there and um, then they would put a lot of uh, Gruyere cheese and then they would break eggs on it and then the whole thing gets sprinkled with kirsch and then it goes into the oven and bakes and sort of puffs up and gets the, all the cheese gets browned on top and it's the most delicious dish ever and you know we've been to Swiss and French restaurants here in the United States where on the menu they'll have something that sounds like it might you know be something sort of like it but never found anything like it and I've made it at home several times that still never quite does it in does the same it way like burritas bur- bur- yeah okay um, so and you said crouton fromage is it like crouton like a crouton did you put in the salad C-R-O-U-T-E that just means okay. the bread that's being baked okay and then fromage is cheese okay so it's kind of like a, a, a French pizza uh well the, a I mean, French it, deep it, dish pizza it's, it's bread it isn't pizza dough okay it tastes more like um you know, a very crispy, 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 crispy French toast with all these things on it and cheese, and it's not sweet. Okay. It has a lot of liquor in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's <laughs> soaked in white wine. Yeah. White wine and kirsch. Yeah, okay. Um, so I pulled up a map of Sri Lanka. Do you see the city? Uh, can you can you turn that or no? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so Candy was beautiful, which is in the middle. Okay. And... I think it might be Nuara. Nuara Elia. Okay. Candy was also up in the mountains. So both of those areas were really, really green and gorgeous. Yeah, the map doesn't really show topography. And, and but... the um, the town at the top, Anura... Uh, hold on. Anuradhap. Yeah, it's hard to pronounce. Yeah. That that city is so full of history and temples and the people that take you around and explain it all are just amazing. Just amazing. It's like, you know, talking to an archaeologist. Um, we were just so impressed with that area. And then we were in Dambala Dambula, which was also amazing. I mean, all these towns were amazing. The only town that we we stayed in Nagumbo on the beach. Um, That's 
That's above Colombo. Okay, yeah. It's on and the west we coast. We flew in and out of Colombo. Colombo had a huge, huge amount of pollution. So even, you know, you fly into this very thick brown. And when we were in Nagumbo, um, or near Nagumbo, you know, it was like really windy. And so we thought, well, all of this brown will leave, but it didn't, hmm. which we thought was really kind of strange. But once we got out of that area, um, every, every place else was beautiful and clear and gorgeous. And then in the end, we were in um, down below uh, Colombo. There is there's a town. Cote. No, right below that. The next one down. La oh, ben, ben Hota in that area. Oh, down here. Yeah. I think that's where we were. In Tota? Yeah. Okay. So those are all beach towns. Okay. Um, and that was really fun, and it was beautiful, and the water was beautiful. And So is Sri Lanka kind of like a big mountain? Like Candy is way up top? Candy is, the highest, I think, one of the highest points. Mm-hmm. And, um, then it, and it just goes down to Yeah, I mean, they wise. have beautiful, beautiful national parks and waterfalls and areas to hike. And, I mean, it really looks like Switzerland in the middle. Whereas the edges, like around Colombo, you would never think that. Mm-hmm. It's very dry and very hot. and um, So it's a really amalgamation of so many different countries with so, so many animals, so much history. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. Well, you have me sold. I, I would never think, well, I would like to go to Sri Lanka, but I didn't realize um, the, the, the wealth of things to do there. Um, so... Yeah, oh, you could in eleven days or fourteen days, you can go on a whole tour of the country okay. and see just about everything. I would actually take twice as long because like a month. Well, everywhere we were, we would get there, and where we were staying was amazing, and then the things around were amazing, and we never felt like we had enough time. We were either packing and unpacking, going to the next place, and and all of these hotels that we stayed at, you know, really weren't very expensive, and I mean they were something like out of Africa. I mean they were just gorgeous and. Yeah. Uh, you know, ma- built years and years ago, and marble and beautiful grounds. And we had our first hotel we were in, in Anna, whatever it is, Anapurhara. Uh, 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 yeah. At, um, we were in a cottage on the grounds. I think we were one of maybe three or four people there. We probably could hold hundreds of, of families at this hotel, and uh, had a beautiful restaurant and a beautiful pool area, but lots of grassy areas and they said every night at four o'clock elephants come down to eat and if we wanted to hang around we'd see all these elephants march through but we were out actually at a game reserve then so we didn't get to see the elephants march through the but there was monkeys everywhere so we went inside of our cottage and then all of a sudden you know in our at our window was like you know two or three monkeys looking in at us you know they weren't they were just watching what we're doing <laughs> It was actually a little bit spooky, but <laughs> could you feed them? No, you weren't supposed to get near them. They okay. were I mean, what they wanted to do was like run in and run out and grab whatever they could. They kind of <laughs> if they see a banana or they see, you know, any food or they see something interesting looking, they just grab it and run off with it. So you're told, you know, to watch your stuff and don't get really really close to the monkeys. But the monkeys were everywhere. Okay. Very very interesting. Um and peacocks were everywhere. Elephants oh, were everywhere. Peacocks love peacocks. I actually our, we were in a um, jeep on a safari tour and maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes into the park, 
there's this huge, just huge, huge elephant on the road in front of us. And our uh, safari driver said, oh, um, you know, and he pulled up right next to the elephant, which, you know, these are wild elephants. This isn't like a zoo. And the elephant stopped and turned around, came towards us, took his mouth and put the bottom part of his mouth and the top part of his mouth on the corner of our Jeep and started rocking the Jeep and sort of mouthing the corner and actually shattered the back window because he, he exerted so much pressure on it. And then he let go. And I was saying to the driver, are you sure this is safe? And he goes, oh, you know. It, and the elephant walked around to where I was sitting, mm-hmm. put his trunk on the in, in the inside, you know, really kind of on my lap. And I said, can I pet him? He goes, go ahead. So I started stroking his nose. And I mean, you could tell the elephant was just playing with us. He just he was just having fun. He wasn't mad. He wasn't trumpeting or anything. And then he moved away. Well, by this time, there's five other cars, but they're all like 300, 400 feet behind us. No one wanted to come near. Then he went back around to where he was sort of crunching the Jeep. And I was thinking, you know, this is this man's Jeep. I'm sure this isn't good for the Jeep. And he started to do again. And then the driver said, oh, I guess we should go. So, <laughs> But, you know, and then he said, pretty neat to pet a wild elephant huh yeah an experience right there that's amazing and this is in sri lanka this was in sri lanka yeah yeah that's definitely getting bumped and and his eye next to his eyes where it was all wet Mm -hmm. on both sides and he said that's his gland secreting because he's uh it's beginning the mating season and so the smell that comes off this uh secretion will attract women so he's walking around looking for a woman (laughs) maybe he thought the jeep was a woman well he i think he thought me (laughs) (laughs) they find out at least that's what the drivers and then sri lankan elephant out there that's still an hour and a half later you know we're driving and the same elephant came out of the bush and the driver goes oh see he's still looking for you Hey, he's not lying either. He's not lying. But we saw so many elephants that were just, we were so close to so many elephants and babies and just amazing. It's great. All right, number six, uh, number one skill. This is uh, your honed craft, your number one honed craft. So that would probably be cooking because I've been probably cooking since Switzerland. And when we lived in Switzerland, I learned how to make all these French dishes, which... You know, certainly weren't on my radar when we li- when I was growing up in California, and um, and then after that, I started taking lots and lots of cooking classes, and and now I mostly develop my own recipes. So um, if I see things or taste things that I really like, then I you know try to um, you know figure out for myself how they were put together what ingredients were in them sometimes i'll ask chefs and they're nice enough to tell me oh you use this 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 and this um and then often i change it to my own taste because there's things i think go better together um and then create recipes out of that all right so that would probably be cooking and is that a crude uh hold on crude fromage is do you ever make that for like breakfast for your guests I mean, I guess it has white wine no. in it, so it would be more of a dinner dish. Yeah. But. No, I, I've i never made that. Um, I did have quite a few items that I would make ahead of time for guests. Um, I think one thing that I make are called egg puffs, and they're sort of like an omelet um, that you I make them in a ramekin. So they puff up like this. They're like little souffles with eggs and different kinds of cheeses and vegetables and 
and mm. I make like you know 70 of them and oh. then I wrap them tightly in cellophane and freeze them and then when guests would be there we would take out four or six or eight and pop them in the oven rewarm them up and serve them and they're just fabulous I'm sure it's like a, 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 a um, luxurious empanada yeah, they don't have any kind of um, crust on them that, you know, is made of, of um, you know, any kind of breading or... So it's just really the egg. Oh, okay. Uh, but they're just... They, they taste amazing. So wh while I was here this last month, I probably made 90 of them. And uh, Kira probably had... My daughter probably has... You know, sixty of them frozen in her freezer because she likes to take them out. Take them out. Take, and take one out yeah. every morning for breakfast. Yeah, and... that's like my aunt. She makes these amazing sticky buns. I oh, mean, you were telling just, me that. Yes, I mean just amazing. You know, those have probably one sticky bun has, you know, eighty nine carbs in it. <laughs> I don't mind. Give me all the carbs if they're going to come in the form of one of her sticky buns. No, seriously. Every Christmas, she's like, okay, for her, what do you want? You know what I want. I want a pan of sticky buns, and I have them. I freeze them, and I, man, they last me. Does uh, it take her a long time to make them? Um, I don't, about as uh, normal. I mean, does, but she, she, does she, she make her own yeasto? And... I, so I don't know the, the, the intricacies of, of the magic that she, she, she puts in these sticky buns. Uh, but I know that when she makes them, she typically makes like maybe two pans at a time. Uh -huh. um, and I tell her I want a whole pan and she'll maybe give me two thirds of a pan. <laughs> Anan, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I need a whole pan so I can just freeze it and have it. And I try to make them last a week, but a lot of times they just don't make it. They just don't make it. Well, you should get a pan from her every other month. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you, you heard Deborah. <laughs> Anan, yeah, I need a pan every other month. All right. Last but certainly not least, your number one talent. This is your innate proficiency that you had coming out the womb. So I think I'm really good at um, resource management. Okay. So if, you know, a party needs to be put together for 1,200 people, uh, you know, in three weeks and, you know, you need a venue and food and um you know, vendors to do fun things with it, you know, whatever. I'm really good at stuff like that. Okay. And I'm, I'm good at figuring out the best places to stay or the best places, you know, how to fly really inexpensively or how to, uh, you know, what should be, you know, what we should be doing or that kind of stuff. Um, I spend a lot of time researching it and, and then usually have a, uh, pretty fairly comprehensive list. Of yeah, all the things you can yeah, use. I'm better at that than most people are. Okay, and most people don't want to spend the time to do it, but they'll just call me and go, "What do you think? What, how should I do this? And where should we go? And our doctors? Mm -hmm. I have a really, really high medical IQ. So mm -hmm. if people need surgeries and need a special doctor or special therapy or how to get it all put together or who to see, and even just talking with doctors, you know, I'll. Uh, I'll talk to someone, they go, oh, you know, I, I really need this. But they said, you know, I can't, they can't see me for three weeks because they're booked. And then I'll get on the phone and get them in that day. I mean, it's really the way you approach it and what you say and how you come across. And, you know, I'll say, is this emergency? Well, I mean, it's not really emergency, but I'm in a lot of pain. I go, well, if you're in a lot of pain, it's an emergency. So let's call them. Let's say it's an emergency and this and this and this. And we, you need to be seen immediately. And, 
you know, most people just are out here with all of that. They don't understand what needs to be done. All right. I know who I'm calling <laughs> when I need surgery and when I need to go to Sri Lanka. Well, I worked at UCLA for a hundred years and I was a director in the medical center. Okay. So I know how all that stuff works. So it's easier for me to go in and go look at, I need this done. I want to see this doctor. I need him to call me right away. Or, you know, most people don't even know how to ask those questions. Yeah. So were you a doctor? Are you, were you a doctor? No, I was yourself? a director of, um, volunteer services in the medical center. So I was in charge of all the families in surgery and I was in charge of all of the adult and student volunteers. And UCLA has the largest program in the United States. Mm -hmm. So we have a thousand volunteers a month. So that's, you know, it's like a human resources division of unpaid staff that you're handling and putting in positions in the medical center, in research laboratories and clinics, um, in the emergency room. I mean, all over. Um, so it was a big job. Okay. And so are you retired now? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> um, in the show notes or for the show title, I use whatever your profession is. So what would you say now? Well, now? Yeah. I mean, or what would you, what would you like me to say as, as your, what it is you, innkeeper? You want to be an innkeeper like me? <laughs> You could say that. All you right. Could say innkeeper. Perfect. Actually, what you should say is um, geriatric adventurist. Okay. That's my blog. Oh, your blog. The, the geriatric. Uh, what is it called? Good friend of mine actually is a um, geriatric doctor in in, in uh, California. Oh, it's called Blue Lips Misadventures. Blue lips. Lips. Misadventures misadvent.com well that's the name of the blog mm -hmm. it's at travelerspoint.com travelers point okay t-r-a-v-e-l-l-e-r-s-p-o-i-n-t okay dot com yeah and then you just so so we have blue lips misadventures and then underneath it says something well, let's see let's pull it up and see what it says it says our geriatric something or other Oh, our geriatric travels. Okay. All right. So we. Um, I'll 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 find it and then copy that web page and put it on. Okay. All right. I actually haven't finished it. I haven't done Sri Lanka, but we did all of our other travels. Good. Pretty intricately detailed. Detail. Okay. Good. <laughs> but we were like you know lost and having you know weird happenings in airports and with cars and with tuk-tuks and you know just constantly we what's, constantly. what's a tuk-tuk a tuk-tuk is a um in most of southeast asia <clears throat> they'll have taxis but they'll also have these um men on bicycles with yeah There's... kind of similar to that um but usually you're sitting in the back okay and it's more of a platform with like two different kind two seats okay uh but there's all over the world there's there's different um, forms of tuk tuks. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and there's some that men are pedaling and there's some that are motorcycles and there there's some that more of an enclosed thing that they drive and um, and it's funny because in some countries they're very inexpensive. In some countries they're more than the taxis. Wow. It just you have to kind of, you know, get your bearings and you and you really have to know 
you know, like if I'm going from here, let's say to um, the Capitol building, and if I take a taxi, it's going to be $7. And if I take a Via, it's going to be $3. And um, then you ask the tech doc guy and he goes, oh, only $15. Very good price for you and your husband. And so you have to know ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. And go, no, no, no. I know it's $3. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because they're, they're willing to uh, take advantage of tourists who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. As, as are most places, too. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we have your blog. It's uh, travelerspoint.com, Blue Lips Misadventures. And, we look and Blue the... Lips is because my husband's last name is Bluer mm-hmm. and my last name is Phillips. Okay. So is it B-L-U-E or is it B? It's just B-L-U. Okay. To spell his name is B-L-O-O-R-E. Okay. So we just went B-L-U and L-I-P-S. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, is there anything else you want to add? No, I think that's good. I think we got it all. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been... I could tell you about us climbing Kilimanjaro or <laughs> um, hiking across northern Spain 500 miles or... Is that in the blog? No. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm all ears if you want to tell us. No. <laughs> all stories are too long. <laughs> well, next time then. All right. If I if, when I come out to LA, I'll bring my uh, portable one, and we'll have part two of this podcast. Okay, good. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Innkeeper's Guest Book. I'm Innkeeper Freddie. Deborah, thank you so much well, for, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>